You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop! Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Neil, and I am once again in an empty studio, but I am joined over Skype with our friends Jeff and Matt. Let's start with Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Neil? I'm doing all right, all, all things considered. Uh, and Matt, uh, how is everything out in LA over there? Well, I wouldn't know. I haven't left my house in seven days. Well, that, that makes sense. Have you been building puzzles or, or doing any sort of macaroni art? Um, no, I need that macaroni to live. Uh, all right, well, I haven't been to the grocery store in seven days either. All right, we'll, we'll Amazon, <laughs> Amazon Prime you some macaroni, and if, if possible, could you do a Macho Man macaroni figurine? Yeah, sounds, sounds absolutely savage. <laughs> well, th- thank you. Uh, well, uh, before we get to our special guests, uh, we just wanted to say uh, a very special thank you. Two of our guests here today are Patreon supporters, uh, which we cannot thank them enough for. Um, but uh, I was talking to Jeff the other day, and... Um, since our patrons are the lifeblood of our show, um, during this difficult time, we're recording this end of March. Uh, not, we usually don't timestamp episodes, but uh, I'm sure you're well aware of what's going on. And uh, we just want to thank uh, all the patrons. We know some patrons um, had to drop off uh, due um, to uh, monetary issues, which is uh, totally understandable. And we appreciate all the time that they've been with uh, been with us up until this point. Um, and then we've had a, a huge um, influx of Patreon support, uh, which is uh, sort of flabbergasted us. And uh, it's it's uh, really really nice. We we really appreciate um, all the support you're giving us. If you're if you're just starting to donate, or uh, if you've just joined Patreon, um, full disclosure: two of us uh, are no longer working at the moment. So um, every dollar that you donate uh, is really uh, helping keep the show go. And um, we're uh, we're doing our best to continually put out content. And uh, yeah, just means a lot. We, we really, really appreciate it. Wanted to take a moment to say thank you for that um, and uh, and kind of get the the low downer point uh, out in the beginning of the show because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of hijinks today. So thank you once again. But uh, to introduce our special guest today, uh, as I said, they're both Patreon supporters. Uh, our contestant who's going to be playing with Matt today uh, is uh, one of our listeners that we love interacting with on the crop uh, and through email. And uh, she's an Intercontinental Champion from Round Rock, Texas, and that's Emily Vera. How's it going, Emily? It's going great. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We, we heard a little bit beforehand, but what you do is very interesting, and we'd love to uh, hear more. 
Well, I'm a high school teacher, and specifically the subject I teach is agriculture science. So if you've ever heard of the FFA, the Future Farmers of America, um, I am a, a teacher in that and advisor with that. Um, I've got three kids of my own. I've got a set of twins that are just about to learn how to drive. So we're trying to navigate those waters. And then I've got a middle schooler. So we're all getting pretty tight and cozy these days. That sounds like it. And just to be clear, the twins will not be driving at the same time. Uh, no, we have not figured out how to do that. They do a lot of things at the same time, but but not that. <laughs> All right. So if anyone has one of those old school um, driver's ed cars with two wheels, uh, just send it over to Emily. We'd like one that has the two sets of brakes so I could hit the brakes in the passenger side. <laughs> even, even more important. Yes. Uh, well, our uh, our special guest host today is someone we've had on the show. Um, the last memory I have of uh, of him, uh, other than seeing him at Geek Bowl, of course, is him bringing uh, almost, I think, a 30-pound box of uh, wrestling <laughs> magazines, vintage wrestling magazines, which are awesome, and I'm going to try and turn them into some sort of coffee table. But um, but uh, great person. We love having him on, and he's a Cruiserweight champion on Patreon from Brick, New Jersey, and that's Paul McLaughlin. How's it going, Paul? Good afternoon, guys. I'm doing... Uh... Doing okay. It's interesting times here, but uh, yeah, we're we're getting through it. Yes, it it is interesting times. You're correct, uh, and we see uh, you have the Extrivia Ganza T-shirt on from uh, our event, which we love seeing you at. Uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you've been on a few times, but uh, anything else you'd like to uh, you'd like to drop? Uh yeah, yeah. Been on uh, what what's my record? One and one now. So uh, I'm gonna have to try and well. Am I looking to beat you guys today? I, I really don't know how that works. But uh, no, uh, we're just uh, doing what we do here at the shore, which is not a whole lot right now. Just uh, taking care of the family. Both my wife and youngest daughter are, are laid up with this. So I'm just uh, spending my seventh anniversary today social distancing from them. So, Well, happy anniversary. Well. <laughs> well, uh, we know it's sort of a, a different circumstance here, the way we're recording, but uh, we're going to do our best. So Please excuse any uh, any sound issues, but we're uh, we think we got it uh, pretty pretty good here. Um, so I think Matt is going to partner with Emily. Any ideas on the team mm-hmm. name? Um, yeah, so Emily was um, from Round Rock. I'm a big basketball guy, so I think we're going to be Round Ball Rock by John Tesh. <laughs> <laughs> Round Ball Rock by John Tesh. He is one of your favorite artists. Um, for that one song, correct? Yeah. Well, and the and the NBC theme song, right? The that's that... what it's called. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, I, I think I've had... asked it on the show like four times. Oh, you know? I didn't know Stay I it, I didn't know it had a a name. Oh yeah, there's a great SNL skit about um them creating that song and his brother having lyrics to it. It's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeff, uh, any ideas on a team name for us? Yeah, I. Uh, so we were talking earlier. Um, unfortunately, we don't live in a town like Paul uh, or Emily that have kind of like a stone feel but uh paul's from brick so we thought we would be drowning slowly all right so we'll be drowning slowly against uh what is it matt what's the team name oh it doesn't matter you'll never say it again I, i'll probably forget <laughs> it you're correct uh well uh let's uh let's throw it to the rules guy uh he is also uh on a rock he's uh sitting on the blarney stone in ireland let's see how he sounds the rules of the game are simple 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece at halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. 
The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Pretty windy, but um, pretty clear. I don't think that's how you're supposed to Blarney Stone, but... I don't think so. Um, but, Paul, uh, you are the host uh, with the most. Feel free to take it away, and uh, let's start the game. All right. Very good. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. So, round one, question one. We are starting out with a tricky question. <clears throat> The opening lines of Run DMC's It's Tricky form what type of poetic verse? For clarification, we're talking about everything before the words, here we go. For some reason, all I can come up with is like Shakespearean sonnet things, and that's not what we're going with. No, I think, I mean, so like the rhyming scheme is like A-A-B-B, but within the line. Um, But I don't know if there's a name for that or if that's a different kind of. Yeah, I, I'll i be honest, I haven't paid attention to this in quite a bit. Yeah, um, so we, like a limerick? <laughs> sure, that works. I'm all for the funny answers when we can't come up with the real ones. We'll, we'll see. So we'll say limerick based on your Blarney Stone talk earlier. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> um, okay, so we had mentioned iambic pentameter, uh, but it seems too simple for that. Uh, and if it is, I apologize to... Uh, Shakespeare heads, um, if that's what they're called. I guess like uh, what's his name, Parrot Head guy? Oh, Buffett. Jim, Buffett. Jimmy yeah, thank Buffett. You. Yeah, the Shakespeare of Jimmy or Jimmy Buffett of Shakespeare. Um, but uh, I I wasn't sure. So Parrot Head guy. The Parrot Head guy. Um, so the lyrics, uh, you know, uh, the speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock a rhyme that's right on time. Uh, something something. So it's tricky. It's tricky. 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 So tricky, we put. You, uh, we had no idea. We just put A A B B. Uh, C, or no, A A B B. That's what, that's what we're gonna go with. <laughs> okay, well, somebody's getting points here. The opening of the song goes: "This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock a rhyme that's right on time. It's tricky." Is the title mm. that is your classic A A B B A limerick there? Mm. Oh, Ooh. oh, excellent! <laughs> wow. wow, great job, Matt. Nice, nice, Paul. Rev Run preaching the limericks. I like it. All right. Round one, question two. Burning up the airways, a.k.a. the obligatory Simpsons question. On November 21st, 1991, was the first time that we saw a band come together for a guest appearance on The Simpsons. What band was it that took the stage at a newly popular tavern? We can lock in. Perfect. Uh, okay, Jeff. I just watched this yesterday, actually. You know that surprising. you know that I don't know anything about the Simpsons. Yeah, um, so, I'm trying to remember who they would have gotten so early. Well, two two options here. Paul had a clue in the question, and it could just be random. But he said "Come Together," which is the Beatles, right. um, and Aerosmith. I believe also did a cover of "Come Together." Yeah, I like Aerosmith more because I know the. Beatles, there's an interesting thing with the Beatles where Paul McCartney wouldn't come on unless they could have a uh, preachy message about him being vegan, I think. And I think that was a later season when he came oh, on. Oh, that's definitely right. on the show. I also heard that he said something like, I don't want to be real. Like that. <laughs> um, that was a little bit more Ringo. That's okay. I'm a little off my game. Um, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, let's. Do you want to go Steven Tyler and Aerosmith? That seems like the kind of thing they would have done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's what we're going to go with. So it's at uh, this is at Flaming Moe's. Um, I can let you say the rest of your facts there with uh, Tom Jones and Michael Jackson. Although Michael Jackson wasn't credited, uh, but it's Aerosmith. 
Yeah, uh, season or tenth episode, season three, Moe's Bar became Flaming Moe's with a guest appearance by Aerosmith. Nice, nice. Uh, what did they sing? Did they sing "Come Together" or just uh, uh, "Walk This Way"? Oh, oh, oh! And, and Mo, Mo actually sings it. It's very funny. Oh, that's good. All right, round one, question three. Keeping it clean for the nippers. <clears throat> NSFW is common internet parlance for "not safe for work." A warning that clicking a link would bring up language or images that you might not want your boss to see over your shoulder. While this term came into being around 2005, it was predated by several years by NFBSK. This term was coined in response to a user on the Snopes.com message board who complained that certain children might be exposed to the foul language that other members used in their post. What warning were these users giving with this initialism? And just to be clear, this is not NKOTB. It is not. No. Okay. <laughs> So we've talked about beginners, beginner school kids. I think I think the S is school. I think we're just think looking so. at a, at a B, but I don't know if we're gonna get it. So let's say beginner school kids. I guess I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the best I can come up with. That's okay. We're winning, so we'll say we'll say Excellent. that. Okay. Um, we had no idea. Beginner school kids sounds really good, um, but we went with never forget. Batman sacrificed Keto. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there there was a hint in the title about keeping it clean for the nippers. Uh, the irate woman posted that other posters should watch their language because there were British school children reading the message mm. board. From then on, as a joke, the other Snopters used NFBSK in place of swear words or in the subject lines on topics that, to warn they were not for British school kids. Oh, man. Wow. We were so close. When we were talking, I said maybe it has something to do with like a European school system. So and, did. and never got there. <laughs> That's crazy. Don't swear in front of me. <laughs> I think Dutch boy would have a very dirty mouth, honestly. All right. Round one, question four. Coasting along to the next question. Placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1991, what is the most well-known and longest operating roller coaster at Luna Park? We are locked in. Uh, we are locked in over here at Drowning Slowly. I'm almost positive on this one, Jeff. I'm just going to take one for the team. I wonder if Luna Park is at Coney Island. Um, it's pretty well known, and it's okay. in it's in New Jersey, which is oh, that would fit with us. Um, it's on the coast, and Paul is from that area. Yeah. So that's a, so sometimes you got to use some game theory. <laughs> Because otherwise, I was going Luna. It's on the moon. Yeah, <laughs> the longest running roller coaster on the moon. Um, but well, that is a uh, second episode of Futurama. Yeah, so. it is a theme park on the moon. Um, but I can't remember the name of the famous roller coaster there. I think it's like the Twister or the Tornado. What's the name of all of those? <laughs> Every roller coaster, but. Right. Well, yeah, because with the clue being coasting, it doesn't have to do with surfing or anything, right? Oh, I mean, it could be. What's, what's some surfing words? Dude? I don't know. Hang 10. Yeah. Um, Meet the Deedles. Mm -hmm. 
surf ninjas. I could come up with some some joke name with blue with the moon being made out of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. So, um, I don't know. Moon coaster. I got nothing. Moon coaster works for me. All right. So, uh, Matt, I think was at a different Luna park, uh, the fictional Luna park in New Jersey. It's actually in Brooklyn. And, uh, you might find Mr. Robot eating on a Nathan's hot dog, uh, riding the cyclone from, uh, Pony Island. (sighs) Yep. First opening to the public on June 26th, 1927 in Coney Island, Brooklyn, not in New Jersey. Your answer is the Cyclone. Mm. Nice. Have, you ever well done, ri- have you ever ridden it, Paul? Thanks, Jeff. I, ha- I have. Uh, uh, before I had an accident several years ago, which kind of uh, did some balance issues on me, I spent many years as a member of American Coaster Enthusiasts. Uh, <laughs> before traveling the country to play trivia, I used to travel the country to ride roller coasters. That's mm. awesome. Did you? Now, please tell me you had some sort of badge. The, the man with the most interesting hobbies. Yes, right. Uh, please tell me you had some sort of badge and you'd go up to the counter and be like, I'm a member of ACE. Uh, I, I get front row uh, treatment. At, at some at some places, uh, yeah, yeah. The membership card did have some pull. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Love it. All right, round one, question five. No word if this is what Neil has on his back. Featuring a combination of naturalistic and surrealistic motives with lettering and color splashes rendered mainly in black and red, what is the name of the tattoo style that sounds like it might be Oscar the Grouch's favorite traditional Czech music style? Yeah, so I think our trash polka is the best answer we've got yeah we came so you mentioned there's a like a czech polka festival yeah so in the fall we have a a festival probably about an hour and a half from us uh called worst fest which is this 10-day salute to sausage Mm -hmm. um highly recommend it anytime you come down to the austin area in the fall go there um but the there's so much polka music being played, it's not even funny, and you have to do the chicken dance. Right. So the only type of Czech music style we can come up with is polka, and then yeah. with Oscar the Grouch, we're thinking trash. So we've just combined them to make trash polka. I'm sorry, Ken. We thought, well, we think it's polka, and then Oscar's kind of a grump like Ken, so uh, we just went polka grump. Okay, well, once again, we have one team that uh, managed to get their way there, and it is Trash Polka. That's insane. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nice you know job. I'm not sorry, Ken. Yeah. No, Ken should retract that. Yeah, just tell him to stay in his trash can. It's fine. <laughs> After five, it looks like uh, Team Drowning Sully has 20 points, and Team John Tesh Reference Something Something has 30. <laughs> so dismissive (laughs) (laughs) round one question six sports and other sports aka the one where we trivialize an important moment in the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. if tommy smith or john carlos had been nfl referees instead of olympic medalists what would they have been signaling during their iconic moment okay we're locked in yeah i think I'm gonna say it's if it's one one hand up. I think it's dead ball or um, maybe just dead ball because I think it like leads into 
where they wave their hands for like end of quarter or for whatever else it is. Are you okay, are you okay with that? I am pretty much going to believe anything you tell me about sports ball. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think that's a signal for a dead ball. All right. I'm, I'm surprised Matt didn't, uh, if, if we're even right. I mean, I'm, I can't gloat before I know we got the answer right, but um, I'm not sure, <laughs> yeah, that's not sure why form. Matt think of this one. Um, but um, being from Chicago, um, and usually the only good part of our football team is defense. Um, anytime Cleo Mack sacks someone, which is pretty often, he throws his fist up in the air, which is, I believe, what Paul was getting at with the Olympics. And when your fist is in the air, that signifies fourth down. So that's what we locked in with. Oh, that's right. Okay. At their medal ceremony in Mexico City during the 1986 Olympics, Smith and Carlos were the African-American athletes who each raised a black glove fist to protest racism in the U.S. In the NFL, a raised fist is the referee sig- referee signal for your answer. Fourth down. Why did I not think of that? Yep. I could not get there. Wow. I'm going to blame it on no sports for two weeks. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Okay, round one, question seven. Strap in for this one. It's the longest question I've ever written. <clears throat> Walk the line softly and carry a big beaten stick. Music legend Johnny Cash was very nearly killed in 1981 when he was taking a nature walk in an exotic animal refuge he kept outside his Tennessee compound when he had an encounter with one of its inhabitants. Because he'd had a minor run-in of this sort before, he was carrying what he referred to as a big beaten stick with him. According to his autobiography, Cash took a swing at the creature, but, quote, I missed. He wasn't there. He was in the air, and a split second later, he's on his way back down again with that big toe of his, larger than my size 13 shoe, extended towards my stomach. He made contact. I'm sure there was never any question he wouldn't. And frankly, I got off lightly. All he did was break my lower two ribs and rip my stomach open down to my belt. Cash continued to swing his stick until his assailant ran off into the woods. What sort of beast of the genus Struthio attacked him? Maybe like an elk. An elk. Because he said he specified, I can't even talk now, specified a big toe. Right. I know. It's throwing me off. But elk acts something. Yeah, big, big feet. Yeah, with the the hooves on there, because we refer to those as as toes. Okay, well then it's not a paw or anything like that. Well, then we can lock in with elk. I think I think that sounds like a thing. Yeah, I don't have a better answer. Okay, elk it is. Okay. Yeah, so we're trying to think of things that are kind of aggressive and would have like unusually large toes, and we knew it wasn't cats or dogs and. We think we ruled out bears because I think those are all Ursa or Ursa Day or something like that. So we couldn't, we were sure it wasn't a bear either. Um, and then Neil and I settled on ostrich because we thought that's kind of the thing a weird animal sanctuary might have. And they do have kind of like two big toes. So that's what we guessed. We guessed ostrich. All right. Cash walked away from this with five broken ribs in total, including the three he broke by falling backwards against a rock. The agony of the gaping stomach wound and broken bones forced Cash to take prescription painkillers, which led to a full-blown two-year relapse into alcohol and amphetamine addiction, all due to being attacked by an ostrich. Wow. Good job, Jeff. I, I told Jeff, I was like, a big toe makes me think of the Velociraptor. And uh, and then I, I don't know if that even helped at all, but it's in the same family, sort of. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've never so, been attacked by an ostrich, but I've been attacked by an emu. I don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, you, if you Google Struthio, one of the first uh, images that comes up is a velociraptor. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, round one, question eight. More of a teacher to my kid than I ever was. Meep City, Jailbreak, Adopt Me, and Royal High are a few of the most successful games on what online service, which allows users to design and play games on their massively multiplayer platform? Jeff, I have uh, absolutely no idea, so... Um, I don't either. So. Okay, let's just go with your answer. I like that. Okay. Cool. We're going to lock in right away. Um, so the only the only kind of um, like video game thing like that I can think of is Steam. Okay. Uh, which is, I know they have a lot of online games, but I think people can upload their own ones on there. I'll go with that. We don't have a whole lot of gamers in my house, and I wasn't. We're still like in the Wii U life here. <laughs> gotcha. No Animal Crossing for you then? No. Oh, what a shame. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess we can lock in with Steam. That's a little Sounds thing. good. Oh, uh, Jeff, you could take it if you want. Uh, Jeff just said Steam, um, and I wasn't sure what that was other than I know um, it's hot. So we went with Steam. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Originally launched in 2004 under the name Dynablocks, the platform in question, to which I give all due credit for teaching my daughter to read fluently before she was five years old, is called Roblox. Oh. Mm. There's a, definitely a rock, uh, brick, hard-edged theme going on here, and I like it. <laughs> all right. Round one, question nine. Famous screw-ups in American history. We've all seen the famous photograph taken after the 1948 election of the newly elected Harry S. Truman holding up a newspaper with the headline, Dewey Defeats Truman. In what newspaper was this gaffe printed? Okay, we are locked in over here. All right, so neither of us have it right away, but we're thinking we can see the, the picture and he's on a tr- he's on a train. So it's got to be whatever town he was in at the time. Mm-hmm. So it could be. It would be on a East Coast sort of train line city. There's New York. There's Boston. Boston. Okay. There's Philly. Maybe, maybe it's the Boston Herald. That, I like that. That's an old, old newspaper. So we'll go with that one. Yeah, sounds good. We were, we're not sure. We were trying to think of what newspapers um, he would have had access to. Is it a, a Washington newspaper, East Coast, like you were talking about? Uh, and really with no no angle on this, uh, we just kind of went game theory and, and said that we're from Chicago. So we just said the Chicago Tribune. And game theory pays off. It was oh. the headline of the November 3rd, 1948 Chicago Daily Tribune, which later became the Chicago oh, Tribune. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, we, had, we had absolutely no idea. We're like, let's just go game theory and see what happens. <sighs> All right. Round one, question 10. Between Isolar 2 and Glass Spider. Running from May through December of 1983, what musical artist supported his 15th studio album on the Sirius Moonlight Tour? So we're looking at 1983, 15 albums already. So somebody who's been very prolific since the 70s, at least, right? Um, The Sirius Moonlight Tour, this is right around, I think this is near the middle or beginning of Ziggy Stardust era, David Bowie. 
Um, oh, that makes sense, especially with the uh, iSolar 2 with that. So in 83, I was five, so I really mm -hmm. wasn't paying attention. Right. And that but was negative I really two, like so that I answer. really don't remember. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really like that answer, though. Okay. So we're going to go with David Bowie? Yeah, I like that. Cool. Yeah, um, I didn't even pick up on the, the category clue. It makes sense. Um, I just know um, Let's, Let's Dance is uh, my favorite uh, Bowie song, and I know in the song he goes, The Serious Moonlight. So um, that's why we went with Bowie. Yeah, taking its name from a lyric from the title track of the then re then recently released Let's Dance album, it was the Thin White Duke, David Bowie. Nice. Excellent. All right. After the first round, it looks like Round Bowl Rock by John Tesh has 40 points, and uh, Team Drowning Slowly has 60 points. Uh, Paul, you said before we started that the swing round uh, was in a, a bit of a different format, which we love, so uh, give us the uh, instructions. Yeah, it's just going to be one question, six answers. I'm thinking four points a piece on it for up to 24 points. All right. All right. The NFL underwent division realignment in 2002. In the years since then, what three teams have never finished a season in last place in their division? And what three teams have never finished a season in first place in their division? All right, we're going to discuss privately and get back with our answers. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All the answers are locked in. So, Paul, can we hear that question one more time, and then we will give our answers? Sure. The NFL underwent division realignment in 2002. In the years since then, what three teams have never finished a season in last place in their division, and what three teams have never finished a season in first place in their division? Okay, uh, we'll start over here at Drowning Slowly. Uh, Jeff, do you want to start with the bad teams? Sure. Um, so we think the three teams that have never once won their division are the Browns. Because we figured that in the NFC, or sorry, the AFC North there, um, either the Ravens or the Steelers are the dominant team. And we said that uh, the other ones are the Redskins and the Lions. 
And for the teams that um, have never finished last, um, we went with the Steel, or uh, excuse me, the uh, Patriots uh, first of all. Uh, for the dynasty, we went with the Seahawks. A little unsure there, and then we've we've seen that graph where every Super Bowl or whatever it's been, um, or f- final game has always been uh, Roethlisberger in there. So we went with the Steelers uh, as our third team. Our answers weren't uh, too far off. So the teams that have never finished in last, we went with the the Patriots. Um, we went with the Steelers as well, and then we went with the Green Bay Packers. And then what were our bad teams? Um, our bad teams, we also had the Browns, the Lions, and the Bills. Okay. Each team getting five out of six. The never having uh, been in last place were the Patriots in the AFC East, the Steelers in the AFC North, and the Seahawks in the NFC West. And never winning their division are the Lions in the NFC North, the Bills in the AFC East, and the Browns in the AFC North. All right. All right. I should have thought about the Bills, yeah, because the Pats would keep them out. Yeah. So each team picking up 20 points on that. Okay, so that would mean our scores are 60 for uh, Round Ball Rock by John Tesh and uh, (laughs) 80 points for Drowning Slowly. So uh, right before we get to round two, uh, feel free to join us over at The Crop. Uh, We're going to be posting uh, sign-up sheets to uh, come on the show, much as uh, Emily and Paul did. And uh, also hit us up on Instagram, our new Instagram, at TrivialityPod. Uh, and it's reminded me to take a picture while we're recording today to put that up. So uh, please join us over there uh, and uh, interact with us. Take it away, Paul. All right. Round two, question one. Ah, the good old days. In 1919, Walgreens Pharmacy had 20 locations. But by 1930, they had grown to nearly 400 stores. Their ability to expand so rapidly and successfully is attributed to sales of what prescription medication? Ironically, this elixir is no longer sold at Walgreens, although it is readily available at many other businesses. So we're trying to think about what's happening in this time era and it's during prohibition. So we're trying to figure out if this is something to do with some sort of alcohol. And Matt has suggested mercury, but... To get mercury commonly now, I mean, that's only been used in in the thermometers and thermometers that, they don't even do that anymore. Shake out. Yeah, because yeah. that'll make you a mad hatter. Um, right. Uh, lithium. I don't know. You can get lithium in batteries, but I guess they sell that at Walgreens. Right. Something we can't get because so you can still buy some wine of various qualities. Um, yeah. But you can't buy any liquor there. Mm-hmm. So maybe just hard liquor, hard, hard alcohol. Yeah. Even. Well, are you good with hard alcohol then? Lock yeah, because I don't want to put a brand on it. Right. Okay. We'll lock in with that. Okay. Uh, Jeff, you can take it. We had a very similar discussion. Yeah, we were trying to think of uh, well, prohibition hit in the 1930s, we think. So um, we thought if it's readily available other places, but not at Walgreens, maybe they don't sell, and I don't drink, so I wouldn't know, but maybe they stopped selling hard alcohol. So we said hard alcohol. Okay. Yeah. In the, uh, during prohibition, uh, liquor, primarily whiskey became a prescription medication and, uh, Walgreens, uh, used that to expand by hundreds of locations. Uh, they, they have, uh, they started phasing out their hard liquor sales 
uh, in the 1990s. But yeah, your mm-hmm. answer is is hard alcohol, primarily All whiskey. Right. Nice. If you look at the group chat between Neil and myself, I was like whiskey, and he's like, ah, just be generic to be safe. <laughs> no wonder everyone was so excited during the uh, flapper era. They're all just wasted. Moving on, question two, round two, question two, a name in the stars. A Star is Born has been made into a theatrical film four times, 1937, 1954, 1976, and 2018. In the most recent version, Lady Gaga's character is named Allie. This is a departure from the first three versions of the film, where the female lead all shared what biblical name? Wife of the Persian king Ahasuerus. I can lock in for Jeff. All right. So this is where I'm failing all of my Bible teachers. Oh. I was forced to go to Catholic school for four years for high school and had to take um, religion class. And I don't know it. You can't think of any biblical names. Oh, I can think of a lot of biblical names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for who this king is, I cannot. Yeah, I'm probably one of the five people who have never seen this movie. Any of them? And, no. Oh, man. I, I travel with my students so much, and then when I come home, I'm with my kids, that getting out to see the movies was not my top priority the past two years. Mm, I only know the memes, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we could probably, I guess Mary's as good of a guess as we're going to get. Yeah, I'll go with it. All right, Mary it is. I didn't know this one um, from any sort of biblical reference uh, whatsoever. Um, I had to do it from the movie angle. Uh, and it's a name, I don't know uh, how popular it is in the Bible. I just know the name kind of sticks out because it's, uh, you know, not just a sort of a generic movie name. But um, yeah, Janet Gaynor, uh, Barbara Streisand, Judy Garland, uh, from my memory at least, uh, were named Esther uh, and the other Starsborns. <laughs> And Janet Gaynor, Julie Garland, and Barbara Streisand all play characters named Esther. The 2018 version is the only one where the male's lead name does not contain Norman as a first or a last name, with Bradley Cooper playing Jackson Maine. Hmm. Yeah, maybe they, right. they did a screen test of him saying, uh, I'm going to get another look at you. And uh, Esther just didn't sound as cool. <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I didn't finish my notes here. With Bradley Cooper playing Jackson Maine. Q impressions. <laughs> All right. Round two, question three. Music television, but not like, you know, MTV. Uh-huh. What possibly scruffy looking band performed the opening theme for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series? We are, we're locked in. Okay. So I eventually got to, I believe that this is a Star Wars reference, a bunch of scruffy nerf herders. Um, so we said nerf herder. Yep. Uh, we liked it with the same thing. Um, I remember it being nerf herder and I was trying to find the connection. And then I realized when Paul said scruffy that, uh, yeah, the Star Wars reference, so we went with the same. Well, you stuck up half-witted scruffy looking nerf herder. <laughs> scruffy looking. Yep. Your answer is nerf herder. All right. Round two, question four. I don't have a title for this one. Just be happy I managed to get a geography question in. (laughs) What city, defined for our purposes as a population center of greater than 200,000 people, is located closest to the Four Corners Monument in the western United States? (laughs) 
right. So, so definitely not like Denver or Colorado Springs or anything because those are way north. Right. Um, I don't know about Phoenix. I think Phoenix is central. Okay. Um, maybe OKC. I think Oklahoma City is close. Is it close to the Panhandle or no? It's. I went to a conference there a couple of years ago. I remember it being a fairly straight shot from Austin. So I want to say that's more in the middle of gotcha. Oklahoma. Maybe it's maybe it's like um, Santa Fe it, or Salt Lake City. I'm okay with that. Yeah, because we were looking at um, a, a lovely family vacation this summer that I think is now canceled, <laughs> and we were going to stop over in Salt Lake City. Yeah, and we had talked about doing the Four Corners. You can social distance from the Four Corners, though. You'd be six feet in four different states. <laughs> this is true. I love that. that. Be, I will uh, use that as my my validation for trying to still do this. <laughs> okay, so we're going to lock in with, with Salt Lake City. Um, yep, I don't know if I was just channeling one of my favorite shows, but knowing that it was Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico, uh, thinking of all those places, I know Phoenix and some of those other cities there are kind of central southwest. I'm pretty sure Salt Lake's pretty far north in Utah. Colorado's Denver is up northeast. So the only one I could think of was Albuquerque, and uh, I'm all about the ABQ. Um, so yay, science. We said uh, Albuquerque. Yeah, when you said one of my favorite shows, my immediate thought was, oh, you got it. At a distance of 188 miles, as I measured using Google Maps, from Four Corners is Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm. Nice. That means I'm I'm the Jesse Pinkman here then, Jeff, of your scientist. Round two, question five, using your brains. One of the most famous concepts in the zombie genre is they just loves to eat some of them human brains. What was the first movie to introduce this concept? <laughs> oh, man. I heard movie and I totally blanked on life because I was like, oh, Neil can figure this out. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm just going to go with my gut. Um, we're, we're locked in. Oh, so we locked in um, with the oldest zombie movie we could think of that was pretty mainstream and I think had brain eating in it. We said Night of the Living Dead. So uh, originally I wanted to go Night of the Living Dead, and I don't remember there being any discussion of brains there. I mean, they, they um, Romero kind of started the genre there, I suppose. But um, there was a movie I made a bunch of people watch. I, I don't know if it was on Halloween or not. Uh, and, um, recently I was writing some, uh, poems of scary movie characters and I was thinking about it and Paul said it in his question, the character in this movie called Tarman says brains like that. Cause he needs brains. Um, and if I'm correct, that would be return of the living dead. All right. Although 1968's night of the living dead did have zombies eating the freshly dead bodies. It was the 1985 horror comedy Return of the Living Dead that specifically had them craving brains. Mm. Uh, so close. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, Matt, Matt said it while uh, while discussing. Yeah. Yes, he did. Oh, you've gotten good at that. <laughs> All right. After five in the second round, uh, Round Ball Rock by John Tesh has 80 points and uh, Drowning Slowly um, has 130. Okay, round two, question six. Even the horsey set is affected right now. 
The Empire Polo Club, a 78-acre facility with 12 active polo fields, has for the past 20 or so years been home to what music festival? While the event typically takes place in the spring, due to everything on the planet currently being postponed, this year's event is now scheduled for October. Yeah, we um, remember it being canceled very recently. We said Coachella. Yeah, we talked about how uh, like South by Southwest, which is um, out by you, was actually canceled. Whereas this one, we believe, was postponed and rescheduled for October. So we said Coachella. All right. The Empire Polo Club in Indio, California, is home to the annual Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. Nice. Points all around. Yeah, Jeff uh, pushed me into that because I, I thought that Coachella was in the desert. So I was like, oh, maybe it's Bonnaroo. But uh, good thing he stuck well, to Bonnaroo, his guns. Yeah, Bonnaroo is what, in like Tennessee or something like that? Right. It's like... Yeah, and but I remember Coachella. I was like, it's in the valley. Was what I thought. So I don't think it was that that terrible of a climate. But what's the one that's in the desert? Is that South by Southwest? That's uh, Burning Man. Burning, Burning Man. Man. Oh, yeah. Burning South Man. South by Southwest is here in Austin. Yep, that's right. That's right. All right, round two, question seven. This didn't make up for the Academy snubbing Airheads. <laughs> What 2006 film is the only Adam Sandler movie to be nominated for an Oscar? I have an idea, but okay. I'd want to talk about it, obviously. All right, we're going to lock in. Uh, 2006 is like click era Sandler. Yeah. So he was not making his um, little Nicky movies or anything like that. I just don't think of him as being like a Oscar nominee. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone was really excited about that uh, Uncut Gems, but he didn't get nominated for that either. He was great in that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We can lock him with Spanglish. I kind of like that. I feel like maybe something was nominated in there. I know that was one of his like better re- reviewed movies. Well, wait, when was Uncut Gem? Well, that's 2016 or 20 or that was this year, 2019. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, sure. Let's go with it. Yeah, Jeff and I um, had a similar discussion. Um, one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies is Punch, Punch Drunk Love, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. And I couldn't get that out of my head. I don't think that's 2006 or not. Uh, we discussed Spanglish, uh, maybe for like a supporting actress nod. And then there's one movie I cannot think of the title of uh, that dealt with like 9-11 with Don Cheadle. It could be that one because uh, of the subject matter, but um, we didn't really have a good line on that. So we just went with Punch Drunk Love. All right. Well, the title was mentioned in conversation here, but uh, co-starring Kate Beckinsdale and Christopher Walken receiving an Academy Award no nomination way. for makeup Click? Was, was Click. Holy crap. Wow. Oh, and Jack and Jill didn't get nominated? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, what about hairdressing? It was for 2006. A, don't mess with the Zohan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Click was awful. What an awful movie. <laughs> But apparently it had really good makeup. Because they made him look old? What a, oh, my God. <laughs> it's all it takes. All it takes. Was that the year Crash one, too? What is this? Yeah, mistakes. I think so. That was 05. 05, yeah. Okay. Compounding mistakes. All right. Round two, question eight. No, seriously. They still exist. I, I am not kidding. What is the oldest existing political third party in the United States? It was founded in 1869, 
saw their biggest success in 1919 and utilized the camel as their symbol. Could this be something like the Whig Party? The Whig Party was started earlier, though, because they were there was a Whig president like in 18 wasn't wasn't one of the earliest presidents part of the Whig Party. So they were definitely around before then. I think the dates kind of lead me to think that this is the Prohibition Party, um, which I know was a third party. I don't know why it, why they'd still exist, but I guess some people really hate alcohol. Um, if that's a possibility. Yeah, I like that. Because he said, when did when was their greatest success? 1919, ni- and that would be when prohibition right. came in as we know from our previous question. right i really like that with that timeline with them getting rid of things with that so i would go with that definitely okay so prohibition party it is and jeff yeah so i'm trying to put those dates in my mind and i remember there was a point in time and i think it was right before or right after world war one so 1919 is pretty close to that um where the Communist Party had a really big polling in the United States. And we thought maybe the Communist Manifesto was written in the 1860s. So maybe we thought it was founded right about that time. So we guessed the Communist Party. All right. Points to one team here as the Prohibition Party, who insists they are actually still a thing and not a bizarre joke a bunch of Stone College students have thrown together for laughs. (laughs) Awesome. Nice job. I wouldn't want to attend a Prohibition Party, to be honest. Doesn't sound fun for me. Round two, question nine. Sports or the lack thereof? What is the most populous U.S. state without a team from one of the big four professional sports leagues playing inside of their borders? And I will give you five bonus points if you can name the second most populous state on this list as well. Definitely Virginia for the first, Mm because going to college in the state of Virginia there were no professional teams. Yeah, and then we talked about my only qualm with that would be possibly if the Nationals or one of those teams played technically in Virginia, but we don't yeah. think they do. I don't um, think they do. My father-in-law and my husband are huge Nats fans, mm-hmm. and I I don't think that they play in Virginia. Okay, so I feel good about Virginia, and then for the second one, we're kind of between, I think, like South Carolina and possibly um, New Mexico. I think South Carolina is probably a better bet um, i could be talked into that others <laughs> starting to think yeah. about them now we're going off of population and not size right correct yeah because i was uh, even thinking iowa but yeah it just seems no less dense of a population yeah maybe it could be connecticut too because there's a lot of new yorkers that travel but um I think you feel pretty uh, strongly about South Carolina. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that was like the first one that popped in. So we're going to say Virginia is the answer and South Carolina is the bonus. Sounds remarkably similar to a conversation Neil and I just had. Um, Yeah, we think I know for sure that um, the Redskins play in Maryland and we're trying to think. um, I think all the other teams that we could think of for sure played in Maryland. Now, maybe there's an MLS team or something we're not aware of that plays in Virginia, but Virginia is definitely up there. And then I was just kind of going down the coast, thought North Carolina. Well, North Carolina's got uh, Panthers and Hurricanes and a couple other teams, but South Carolina's pretty populous. So we figured it was Virginia and South Carolina. All right. <clears throat> Although it's where both the Washington Redskins and the NHL's Washington Capitals practice facilities and operational headquarters are based, 
the America's 12th most populous state, Virginia, has no professional sports teams playing in its borders. The next most populous state without a sports team is 23rd ranked South Carolina. Wow. 15 points all around. <laughs> wow. Nice job, nice everyone. Job. Nice. <sighs> yeah, that's tricky yeah. with the with the, the DC teams because you're not sure. If you, if you don't know 100%, that can go either yeah. way. Having lived in that area has finally paid off. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, w- when I was asking the question, I'm I'm looking at Skype here at your VT shirt. I was like, oh, okay, I I think she'll be able to uh, <laughs> have a, a good voice in this one. Yeah, and it's important. It's Virginia Tech, not University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Go Hokies! Very, yes, go Hokies! I feel very strongly about that. <laughs> All right, round two, question ten. Gonna march my horse to the Old Town Road. A sampling of the song 34 Ghosts 4 ended up giving a writing credit on Little Nas X's Old Town Road to what Grammy and Oscar winning composer and performer? Yeah, I do know this one. Perfect. I we will can, trust you. We can lock in. Great. Um, all right, Jeff. Um, Grammy, Oscar-winning composer and performer. I'm just trying to think of people who perform and also compose. Um, I don't think Dwight Yoakam, um, Lyle Lovett. I'm trying to think. Well, it's in that country um, style, so can you think of one? Lyle Lovett's not the worst guess in that case, is it? No, I'm just trying to think if it's someone like really random. Like, I don't think has Hans Zimmer won an Oscar. Um, yeah, I have no idea on this one. Um, you just want to go Lyle Lovett. I don't know if he's won an Oscar, but... I've got no idea. Okay. Uh, yeah, my uh, I had to take my limitless pills, so I'm a little out of it. So yeah, let's just go Lyle Lovett. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is one, if you don't know it, you're not going to get there. Because um, I didn't know about the other stuff, but I do know that, that there's a sample of a Nine Inch Nails song, so it's Trent Reznor. And it's Mr. Nine Inch Nails himself, Trent Reznor. <laughs> The awesome. sampling of a beat gave both Reznor and his writing partner, Atticus Ross, a writing credit for the song, as well as a Country Music Association Award nomination for Musical Event of the Year. Wow, that's great. <laughs> that is awesome. After regulation, the game has tightened. It looks like Round Ball Rock by John Tesh has 125, and Drowning Slowly has 155. So let's hear those final categories, Paul. Okay, your five categories for the final are... Thumb, index, middle, ring, and pinky. I gotta give you a hand on this one. Hey. <laughs> All the wagers are locked in, so let's hear those categories and the questions, Paul. Okay, the categories again are thumb, index, middle, ring, and pinky. Starting out with thumb, we have Charles Stratton was a dwarf better known by the stage name General Tom Thumb. He rose to international fame after being brought under the wing of what 19th century showman? Index. The Index is an 80-story, 1,076-foot skyscraper that was the recipient of the 2011 Best Tall Building in its Geographic Region Award by the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat. These days, it's the 18th tallest building in its city. In what city would you find the index? Middle. The Middle was a breakout single for Arizona-based band Jimmy Eat World, reaching the top five on the U.S. Billboard chart. The song was off their fourth album, Bleed American, 
although it was temporarily retitled to simply Jimmy Eat Worlds a couple of months after its release. Bleed American was released on July 24th of what year? Ring. A particular type of Victorian engagement ring which contained ruby, emerald, garnet, amethyst, ruby, diamond, and sapphire gemstones was known by what name? And Pinky. Starting off as a recurring skit on the Animaniacs, its popularity soon earned Pinky and the Brain a spin-off series of its own. After three years under the Pinky and the Brain title, the show was retooled and added a third name to the title, one of the main villains from a different Warner Brothers animation Amblin Entertainment property. What is the title of this spin-off of a spin-off? <laughs> Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or she, call the police. Or call the police, like she should have, exactly. <laughs> What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the Chart Topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. All the answers have been locked in. Let's hear those questions one more time, Paul. We'll give our answers. Okay. Thumb. <clears throat> Charles Stratton was a dwarf better known by his stage name, General Tom Thumb. He rose to international fame after being brought under the wing of what 19th century showman? Uh, I guess we'll start over here. We went uh, 20 all the way down uh, for the wagers, and uh, we went with the greatest showman, P.T. Barnum. We wagered 15 all the way down, and we agree, P.T. Barnum. That is correct. Phineas Taylor Barnum. Index. The Index is an 80-story, 1,070-foot skyscraper that was the recipient of the 2011 Best Tall Building in its Geographic Region Award by the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat. These days, it's the 18th tallest building in this city. What city will you find the Index located? Uh, we went with Dubai. 
after much discussion. Yeah, we guessed after thinking about uh, what place has been just booming with skyscrapers, uh, Dubai. Winning the 2011 Best Tall Building Middle East and Africa Award, the index is located in Dubai. The Middle was a breakout sim single for Arizona-based band Jimmy Eat World, reaching the top five on the U.S. Billboard chart. The song was off their fourth album, Bleed American, although it was temporarily retitled simply to Jimmy Eat World a couple of months after its release. Bleed American was released on 24th of July of what year? Yep, uh, this one, I believe, uh, this album came out uh, right before my junior year of high school, and um, that would have been uh, when 9-11 happened. So we went with 2001. Yep, uh, agreed 100%. We said 2001. Retitled because it would be in poor taste to have Bleed American as a title in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. It was 20, July 24th, 2001. Ring. A particular type of Victorian engagement ring, which contained ruby, emerald, garnet, amethyst, ruby, diamond, and sapphire gemstones, was known by what name? Well, Matt put together the order of these gems pretty quickly, being part of the, the gauntlet from Infinity Wars, so we went with, with Infinity. That's funny. Jeff, you could take it. Um, we didn't know, uh, but we said maybe these were the crown jewels. Okay, nobody picked up on the fact that Ruby was mentioned twice. The gems are arranged to spell out an acrostic using their first letters, which is where it gets the name Regards Ring. Oh, oh. interesting. And finally, Pinky. Starting off as a recurring skit on the Animaniacs, its popularity soon earned Pinky in the Brain a spin-off series of their own. After three years under the Pinky in the Brain title... The show was retooled and added a third name to the title, one of the main villains from a different Warner Brothers animation, Amblin Entertainment property. What is the title of this spinoff of a spinoff? Yep, weren't too sure on this one. I was trying to rack my brain for the um, Amblin uh, animation show, which is Steven Spielberg's company. Um, I know he did Animaniacs, and I couldn't think of the villain from that, and uh, if there was a separate show. So we just said Animaniacs. Yeah, so the title of the spinoff was Pinky and the Brain and Elmira. Okay, well, we'll credit you with that. Adding Elmira Duff from Tiny Toon Adventures, the new show was entitled Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right, after the game uh, and all the wagers locked in, it was a very, very close battle, uh, but it looks like uh, Round Ball Rock by John Tesh is going to end at 170 and slightly in the lead for the win uh, is drowning slowly with 175, making us today's cream of the crop. I am the cream. Very close. That was a, so close. So close. Yeah, great game, everyone. Um, well, uh, let's start with uh, Emily. Um, you know, obviously, uh, big thank you for supporting us on Patreon and for uh, interacting with us and and uh, being such a great listener. Um, any final words for you? Anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, right now, a big shout out to my husband for keeping my family and my dogs in another side of the house that we can't leave right now. Um, and, you know, just keep washing your hands. Yeah, good advice. Good advice. Um, and then, Paul, uh, thank you so much for writing this game, putting it together. We know you're working hard on it uh, and also for being a Patreon supporter. Any um, final words or shout outs from you? 
I'm just going to shout out to my daughter, Alana, for being so good and so reasonably quiet while sitting on the couch behind me this whole time, just coughing a little (laughs) bit. Hopefully those didn't come through the recording too much. Uh, She doesn't know it, but as soon as we're done here, she's getting a Nintendo Switch. Oh, Um, (laughs) um, and uh, shout out to my wife, Rachel, for seven years of amazing marriage today. And uh Damn, I wish I could give her a hug and kiss for it, but mm. <sighs> well, so it goes. Times. Well, happy anniversary to you both, uh, and um, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, if you'd like to join Paul and Emily, you can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. Uh, as I said before, join us at The Crop on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter, at trivialitypod. Uh, and uh, for Ken, who I just realized I did not mention where Ken was this entire time, um, Ken was actually trying to build his own Infinity Gauntlet uh, with uh, bottle caps and uh, other pieces of garbage, but uh, I don't think he's going to get quite there. So uh, we said he was the, he's the trash gauntlet, yeah. We'll send him our regards. Yeah, there you go. This is a new tattoo style, is Trash Gauntlet. Trash Gauntlet, there you go. The new tattoo style uh, taking over the nation. But uh, for Jeff, Matt, Emily, Paul, uh, and myself, my name is Neil, and that was Triviality. Hey, uh, hey, Esther, uh, that's uh, biblical. No, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get out of a recording without neil doing a crap impression of something and usually a good impression like you know you got to take them both yeah one and one <laughs>